Hello, everybody. This is John Campbell with the Like David Project Podcast. This is the second podcast. Thanks so much for listening to us. Um, I wanted to go over a little bit about some more details about the Like David Project and just to address a couple questions before we get started. Um, First off, and I know I'm kind of just like breaking right into this, but first off, if you're listening, please go to our website. Our website is the hub. It's the home base of everything about the podcast. It is, and you can find it at, it's one word, the like David project, all one word, dot gutensite, G-U-T-E-N-S-I-T-E dot com. I know the Gutensite kind of throws it off, but they're, they give us the website for free so uh, we can deal with it. So just one more time. The Like David Project dot Gutensite, G-U-T-E-N-S-I-T-E dot com. There's no www's. So, uh, and one last time, the Like David Project dot dot com. Uh, go to the website. On the website, just to give you kind of a quick how-to guide, uh, there's the there's a menu up top with uh, podcasts, news, calendar, and contact. Real easy. And in those four options, podcasts is where you get the most current podcasts and any of the archives. When you go to the homepage, it's already going to have the most current podcast on the homepage. So all you have to do is press play, and you can listen to the most current podcast that we have available. And click on podcast. You can not only listen to the most current one, but also ones in the past. Now, obviously, this is only our second one, so uh, there's not too much of an archive, but we're doing it every week, and hopefully we're going to have some special editions. So there, there's going to be definitely a archive being built here in the next few months. Uh, news and more. As in any of you that have gone to the website know, I've been trying to add just information about the upcoming podcast. Today's podcast is titled What the Hell? So this week I had entered in some news, some clips, some stuff that us as the speakers uh, we're talking about in the podcast, we're looking at prior. So if you want to get involved, it's all there. And please do. Please get involved. And you can do this on your own time, whenever you have time. It's not like you got to commit to a time and place. Uh, you can listen to us while you're just uh, driving to work or, or what have you. I'm also looking at uh, loading our podcast into a uh, a. a place or program called Stitcher, which you could download to your phone, and then uh, I'll let you guys know on the next podcast, but that'll be really, you can stream it from your phone, that'll be really useful for you, all you have to go there is to Stitcher, open it up on your iPhone, type in the Like David Project, and play, and you're good to go, so we want to make it as easy as possible for you, and the easier it is for you, the easier, you know, the more opt you are to listen to us um also on the website you have calendar and we're gonna try to plan out podcasts so right now we 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 record the podcast on tuesday i try to get it on on wednesday today actually a day late because we cleaned the carpets of the church on wednesday so it's kind of a work day but today it's going to be there so look for our podcast every wednesday um sometimes i might run a little late and it'll be thursday but no later than thursday you'll hear the podcast unless we're out of town or something like that and i'll, I'll definitely give you a uh, heads up if if we're, we are going to be out of town. Um, 
And then finally, the last one, and kind of the most important one, is contact. Uh, if you have any questions at all about what we've talked about or something that you want to talk about, if you have some kind of theological question, theological question that you've been pondering or somebody asked you or somebody uh, in your family isn't a Christian or is a Christian and they, and they have a hard time believing something that you believe and you're not real sure why you believe it, ask us. We'll address it and uh, let us know if you want us to say your name or not just because we might do it. We don't want to do it. We don't want to call you out unless you want to be called out. Um, but right there, that's all. It's all on the website, uh, thelikedavidproject.gutensite.com. Uh, visit us and, and get involved. Also, if you think you have anything to add as well, we're, we're totally looking to, to expand and have visitors come in and uh, be able to interview people and just discuss. And uh, I think the real, uh, and I'll bring this up over and over again, our success meter is to be able to have this podcast in front of an audience at some point. So uh, not the near future, but as, as the more people get involved, the more we'll be able to uh, to do. So please, please get involved. And thank you for bearing with with me and and us as we try something new. Like I said in the in the last one, I'm not a radio host. I don't I don't do well with talking in front of people, but I'm trying. And uh, I'm I'm noticing like little ticks that I say. Uh, I'm not going to let you know what that is because <laughs> you'll hear it and it drove me nuts. So, it, you know, I'm trying to to uh, hone my uh, skill in, in talking and, and trying to uh, be interesting for you. So help us out. Now, just to give you a little uh, buffer of what we're talking about today, like I said earlier, what the hell, that's the title. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, today we're going to talk about hell. Uh, there are two books that are... Uh, been made very popular in the Christian culture. Uh, one is Rob Bell's Love Wins. That was at the top 10 of the New York Times bestselling list for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, not a very common place for a Christian book, especially a theological Christian book. Um, and then also there is a response book, which kind of triggered this podcast, is Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Francis Chan is one of the most well-known Christian speakers of today, and he's made a very, very big name for he's made a big name for himself in the last year, or or God's made a big name for him. He's been, God's really working with this man, and he's a very, very smart guy, and really reaches a lot of hearts and, and speaks to a lot of uh, minds. Um, he wrote a book called The Racing Hell, which is a response to Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. And just to, to give you a, a quick synopsis of each of the books, Love Wins is kind of a, it's been accused of being a universalist type book where a universalist is someone that believes, that does not believe in a hell, that hell doesn't exist, that a God of love could not create a hell. And it it, it is not a universalist book. I don't believe that it is. Um, even though it does have undertones of it, uh, but he does believe more of a, in the book he kind of describes a present hell and just gives some different ideas on hell, whereas Francis Chan Erasing Hell is more of a traditional, not as liberal as Rob Bell's book. Uh, Rob Bell's book has created kind of a, a ruckus in the the Christian world just because he's asking questions and, and bringing to light some things that haven't been brought or discussed in a long in a long time. So uh, with all that going on in the mainstream Christian world, we decided to talk about it as a uh, as a podcast. So it's going to be Matt today again and James just as last week. Matt 
at James and myself sitting down discussing hell. What is hell and, and all about it. I hope you really enjoy it. We recorded this on Tuesday. Uh, today is Thursday. Um, hope you like it. Uh, stay tuned for next week. If you got any ideas, if you got anything you want to add, like I said, please go to the website. Also, uh, we have a Facebook and Twitter account. Those are both connected on the website. If you uh, add yourself, that would be awesome. So, Hope you enjoy listening, and I can't wait to talk to you all next week. Thanks. Um, just to start off, Matt, if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about the contrast between Rob Bell's Love Wins and Francis Chan's Erasing Hell? Sure, in my own words. In your own words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, obviously it's a it's a hot topic right now with two of the most prominent um, uh, contemporary postmodern pastors that are out there, uh, both writing books about hell. And Francis Chan was writing his uh, expressly because he needed felt he needed to respond to Rob Bell's Love Wins. So it's interesting to have a high profile um, disagreement almost between two such leading figures in the church right now. Uh, having read both books, it seems that to me that Rob Bell focuses on uh, heaven and hell as being a present reality, and Francis Chan was defending the more traditional position of, of it being a future reality, a future destination for people. Um, and if you consider both the books, my first impression from both of those is that Rob Bell communicated better in his book but that Francis Chan's ideas probably had more research behind them, were, were, were better, uh, better planned, um, but not as well communicated through his writing, which I felt was a little rushed and, and hurried. Um, but on the content of the two books, I, I, I almost felt guilty that I didn't respond the same way that Francis Chan did towards Rob Bell's book, that it didn't raise my hackles as it clearly did with him. When I read Love Wins, I was not that upset by anything that was that was in it. Um, maybe I have some latent liberal tendencies that soften the blow for me. But I didn't think he was saying anything that, that was that unusual. I, I think that what he focused on was that the hell that people experience here when they're outside of God's love and, and God's protection. And... Um, and I think that that's, that's a very real phenomenon, that we, there are aspects of hell that people experience here, just as there are aspects of the kingdom of heaven that people experience here and now. But I also agree with Francis Chan and the more traditional view that it, at some point, if people don't give their lives to Jesus Christ, if they're not followers of Christ, that there is a future reality of hell. Um, that exists that people will experience and it does raise some interesting questions like how could a loving God condemn people to eternal punishment but I'm sure we'll get to those at some point in our discussion but that was my impression after reading those two books that one was focused on the present one was focused on the future and in my mind I think you can have elements of both you can glean truth from both of those and realize that there is a, a truth to hell now and there is a truth to hell in the future too. I know that just to, I mean, an overhead view of seeing Rob Bell write the controversial book that he did that got a lot of media attention and, I mean, it was on the top 10 New York Times best-selling 
list for weeks and weeks. And I know Rob Bell was a prominent speaker and, you know, somewhat famous in our cool Christian culture, but he wasn't anywhere near that level. I don't remember him coming out with books and then being that, you know, having that much attention. And then for Francis Chan to write a direct response to that book so quickly, a lot of people, I think, take it as almost a, like a, not a debate, but <clears throat> like Francis Chan is wronging Rob Bell or like trying to criticize him or, you know, coming after him and trying to rebuke what he said or whatnot. Um, James, I know that you read the interview with, with Francis Chan about thoughts before writing the book. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is that right? Well, one of the things that kind of struck me is, is kind of a concept and a principle that I just kind of feel like God has been for years kind of impressing on me that the kingdom of God is about relationship. And so I always kind of look at things based on relationships and what are happening in relationships because I always try to be mindful myself of what's the relationship factor here. And so it struck me right away the relationship between these two men, these two authors, both prominent speakers and prominent authors that are kind of out there. And I, as you referenced, I was listening to Francis Chan talking about it. And one of, one of the things that kind of struck me as cool was that he called Rob Bell to talk to him because Rob Bell had written this book, which was is very controversial right now, a lot of discussion about it. <clears throat> and Francis Chan wanted to call and let him know, I'm going to be writing a book that might be kind of viewed as kind of a rebuttal of this, but I just kind of, he wanted to make sure that the relationship was intact. So it's like, that's not anything that's really discussed in the book, Erasing Hell, but to me, it's like that was something that was important for the kingdom of God advancing. And uh, in their discussion, uh, Francis relays in this interview that uh, Rob Bell said, I don't want to be the definitive answer on our future after death, uh, heaven or hell. And I, I wanted to create a discussion and I think that that's probably the prominent thing in this is it has created a lot of opportunities for discussion because Francis Chan said that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to create a discussion. And so I love that today we're discussing this. And that is why I've always appreciated Rob Bell and I've always listened to what he has to say. He is interested in big questions. I have no problem with him asking big, difficult questions to get to get closer to the truth and the accusation of him being a universalist. I don't, I don't think is accurate. I think he just simply was asking questions that just to make sure that everybody knew what they believed. He was asking people to re-examine what they believed to make sure that they knew why they believed it. And that's what he's always been about since he started making his NUMA videos. He's been asking people to examine their closely held beliefs to make sure that they know why they hold them. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. And reading Erasing Hell, um, I didn't pick up on any, and I, not that I thought I would or anything, but just in case anybody out there would think that, there was no condescending tone um, towards Rob Bell. He, ref, you know, Francis Chan references Rob Bell's book probably in most chapters of the book. 
but it's all it's all done very lovingly or just you can tell there's no bad blood there and that's kind of what I'm getting at because that's what I I mean I, I wondered that at first. I didn't. I don't want to say I thought that, but like when I first saw, like my initial reaction when I saw Francis Chan had a book directly uh, about Rob Bell's book, I thought the worst. You know, and I don't know if that's it's and that's part of American culture when we see oh he's going after him, you know, and then immediately after because when I when I first discovered it, it was on an interview. Um, I saw that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, and then after hearing Francis Chan previously, I didn't think there was any way that he would be coming after Rob Bell or whatnot, but I mean, that was my first <clears throat> reaction, so um, I did think there was, like I said at the beginning, more meat in what Francis Chan said. I think it brought a lot of people, I don't think we want to believe in hell. I mean, who would want to believe in hell? You know, I think it would be a better place if there was no hell. Um, as a Christian, I don't want to see, that's that's like you're saying, how could a loving God create hell? You know, if one-third of the world is hell, two-third, or one-third of the world is Christians, that would leave two-thirds of the world in hell. Um, that's a, that's genocide. And so, but, what Francis Chan goes over is, is, Basically, we can't understand, we can't, we will never understand what God does and not always agree with what God does. The Old Testament is filled with things that none of us would probably do, but that's God, you know, and... God has the right to do what he sees fit. Right. What's right to him. We can't question that. Let me ask a question just about, before we debate, you know, the actual... Uh, nature of hell and, and questions to do with God's character and so on. Uh, I believe in the principle that in essentials, as Christians, we should be we should have unity in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things charity. Here's here's my big question about this debate between two prominent people: Is heaven and hell is that an essential of the faith that we should all have unity about, or is there room for liberty in the way that we understand it? I'm glad that you bring this point up because I agree because the because these two books have created a lot of opportunities for discussion and because discussion is so important in our own self-discovery of what we believe and what we think that's one of the things that Francis Chan brought out was he looked forward to digging into this to really connect with how he really felt about it and as I was reading the book for someone who might not be uh, going to even read the book and kind of wondering what we're talking about. Uh, Francis Chan takes a considerable amount of the first few chapters of actually going into the original Hebrew language and the original Greek language and, and what the, the words for hell actually mean and then examines uh, what Jesus said about hell and then what the other New Testament writers said about hell. And as I was reading through all that, it, as interesting as it was, I kind of thought exactly what you're talking about, man. It's like, if it's so complicated, I, I mean, over the years I've learned how to parse Greek and Hebrew using the tools that are available to us. But if it's really so complicated, uh, is the man on the street, so to speak, it, are, are they going to take the time 
to do that. And is it that important of a topic if we have to really understand it? Do we have to actually go down in and drill down into the Greek and Hebrew languages? And so one of the things that I've always come up with is I always try to see what Jesus said about it and then know that oftentimes the most simplest explanation is maybe the most correct explanation. So I'm kind of a keep it simple guy, you know, and that's been helpful for me. And as I read through all this, I realized that really kind of the bottom line is, what am I doing every day? How am I living my life every single day? Because really the concept of heaven and the concept of hell, I don't know of anybody who's ever really gone there and come back and told us what it's about. So we honestly don't know. And we've got these languages that are full of metaphors and similes and all kinds of things. It's like the honest truth is I don't know what heaven's going to be like and I don't know what hell's going to be like, but I know what my life every day is like. And so I'm trying to live every day according to the words of Jesus. And whatever happens after this, I'm going to leave that up to the potter because I'm only the clay. <laughs> Jesus did talk a lot about hell, though, and, yeah. and almost surprisingly when you pay attention to it. But it seems to me like his warning was always, it was not about this is what hell is going to be exactly like. He did use imagery and metaphor to convey a, a feeling almost. And that feeling is, don't go to hell. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. It's to be avoided. And it doesn't matter to us. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't matter to us, essentially. Yeah. You know, what is it like as much as we have been warned to pursue life, not to pursue death. Yeah. And that's what Jesus' yeah. Jesus' point was. Yeah. It was oh, it was always, what are you doing now? And take every action and every thought yeah. un, under control and into consideration. Are yeah. you are you living, yeah. choosing life today? I love the fact, I think it was chapter 6, or it might have been 7, but it was one of the chapters where he went to specifically, these are the words of Jesus about hell. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, I decided I wasn't going to like write and study that day. I was just going to sit down and read through the New Testament words of Jesus about hell. And the startling conclusions he came to. Do you remember that chapter where he was mm -hmm. saying that the very first thing that pops up is, uh, you're in danger of hell if you curse your brother. If you speak negatively about people or about another person, you're in danger of the garbage pit, the the fire, you're, you're in danger of, of hell. And just kind of the sobering, oh, wait, I thought maybe I would go to hell if I murdered somebody or if yeah. I, you know. But that, and then he also brought up the idea of caring for the poor. Mm -hmm. It's like two things that, wow, if I could get that right in my life, I'm not going to have to worry about hell. Yeah, yeah. Seemingly simple things, and yet we have... I think disconnected those ideas from from hell because we've we've uh, consoled ourselves with the idea that we're not murderers, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. we're not criminals, we're not that bad. We've been forgiven, so we're okay. I'm bad, but not as bad as John. <laughs> <laughs> now, <clears throat> I think it is important to. I mean, just kind of both sides of my how I feel on one side of it 
I, as a Christian, it shouldn't affect how I am a Christian. You know, how to be a Christian, how to be like Jesus. It really doesn't play a part on how my day-to-day life goes, you know. Are you saying it doesn't or it shouldn't? It d- doesn't. It doesn't. Like, what hell is, is, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, as a Christian, I believe I'm saved by faith and I, you know, I'm a Christian and so I, I'm not constantly in, in worry of hell. Um, I'm more concerned with how to be the best Christian I could be. Good example, like Revelation. No matter what you believe in Revelation, it shouldn't change how you live your life as a Christian, you know. And, and hell is kind of, it's not like Revelation, but it is in the future. It's something in the future. In the now, it doesn't really play a part on how you live your life. Um, so, but on the other hand, you know, it is a big, big question uh, it drives a lot of non-believers into looking their whole, whole own life out of fear, you know. But let me let me ask you something just in response to that before we go any further. Do you think that that's because, as a church, and I mean the church globally or the church in America, that we've ignored the question of hell for a while until a man like Rob Bell writes a book? Do you think that's why it doesn't play a big part in our everyday actions? Because it, as we've talked about the, the words of Jesus and realized how how he warned us about our speech and our conduct and so on and, and, and warned us of the consequences of that, perhaps we have ignored how important it is. Is that possible? I think so. I, I think that I see things, trends come through the body of Christ from time to time. And I think a lot of it is because God wants to bring an emphasis to it. God wants to put a little exclamation point to it. And I think that there is a lot of discussion about hell right now because of these authors that are writing these things. And I think that God wants to do it. Like one of the things that Francis brought out, which I thought was so great, was he says there are certain topics and things as a speaker and a leader and a pastor that I avoid because I don't want to, I want to be, he called it, I want to be God's PR man. I, I don't want to actually use the words of the Bible and the words that Jesus said. I want to soften it because I want to make sure that people know about God's love and about his care and how much he loves us. And, and don't worry about all that other stuff. Don't worry about all that. But then he said, uh, there was a, and I forget who the theologian was, but a well-known theologian who was quoted as saying, God's not above using fear, as a, taking fear as an opportunity to, for people to, to come to Christ. Right. And he used the example of when I'm working with my kids and I try to, to teach them, look both ways before you cross the street and be careful when you cross the street. Maybe they'll listen to me, maybe they won't. But sometimes for emphasis, I might, not, I might need to add a little information to it. Like imagine yourself being drugged under a car. Do you know what it might feel like to be hit by a great big huge automobile? And in a way, just bringing up the idea of hell so that people start even considering it, it is a little foreign to the message that seems to be coming forth in Christian America. Which has been all about the grace and the love of God. Is it legitimate to scare people into salvation? Then I ask the question. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for a comeback. What's the name of that movie you were talking about? About... uh, 
about hell and people getting their heads chopped off, and we need some more uh, some of those Christian movies that put the fear of God in people. Deep in the night, yeah, from like the early eighties. Are we going to see no, a resurgence? Are we going to see a resurgance like of those the, types of movies? The seventies versions of Left Behind. <laughs> you never seen the, You've never seen Deep in the Night? No. Oh my gosh! No. Like I'll see if it's on <laughs> It's like so cheesy. I hope it is. It's like <laughs> it's where that song the. Um, you know the main song of the the movie. Anyway, I'll play it on the thing. Uh, I'll show you later. But it's like um, they all get like the Christians that are left behind after the rapture. They have a guillotine set up and they get their heads cut off. And it's just really fear induced Christian movie. Like, and it it really rocked the. You know, I was just reading about it when we talked about it because. Uh, we were talking about that kind of stuff not too long ago, and I read about that movie just because I wondered what happened or to it or whatnot, because um, it scared the crap out of me as a kid. It scared the hell right out of you. No, it did. It scared me because it was like, <laughs> if I don't accept, you know, Jesus, I'm gonna get my head cut off. You know, like it really did. And I mean, that's kind of the question you're asking now: is fear. You know, and I don't remember the last time I've heard a, you know, like a hellfire and brimstone, you know, repent message. But is that a, is that an okay thing to do? I don't know. I, I mean, before reading this book, I wouldn't not agreed with it. And um, just to be honest, I mean, I didn't favor in those preachings. Like, I didn't like to hear, you know... Hellfire message. Yeah. And, you know, I never cared for the guys on the side of the, you know, out standing outside the bar telling people they're going to go to hell and screaming at people as they go in. I didn't really see that as a, a Christ-like thing. Um, you know? Right, and I always thought it seemed somewhat irrelevant. I mean, how many people would just ignore the person on the street corner? But that was right. probably wrong on my part. Well, you but know, no, I don't think so. It's I think it's sometimes started more trouble than it did but i remember when i was in the military i went to pensacola florida which is you know florabama that's the bible belt and we went to this big bar and it was like a 10 there was like 10 bars in one i can't remember the name of it but like you you paid and you went in and there was probably about 20 guys all in ties outside with their bible out preaching as you walked i mean they were like you're going to hell you know and i remember sitting in a pool table at a piano bar and watching them scared to death even as an adult i was probably 24 25 years old and i knew i was backsliding or living my own life because i was i mean i was it, it was way beyond drinking it was you know i was doing all kinds of stuff i remember looking at them like oh my gosh you know like i really creeped me out um but still it, it I still stand by, I don't see that as a uh, Christ-like thing. Uh, you know, I don't see, I think the real basics of being a Christian is the being like Jesus, you know, and the Jesus that I read about in the Bible isn't almost, uh, you know, preaching fear and hate like that. It almost, ha it, it seemed like it came from a place of hate and judgment when they were yelling and screaming at you. Um, but it was also fear. But after reading this book, after reading Francis Chan's book, you know, where it does um, end up in a hell is a real place, um, you know, 
I have the same question. You know, is fear a legitimate thing you should use to win somebody over for Christ? Well, some people argue that people have to be made aware of their sin before they see the need for repentance. And so that's usually the justification that I've heard for that method. You have to make people aware of their need for salvation. And there are a lot of people these days who don't see anything wrong in their actions. And so it is right to point that out. However, I think you come back to Jesus' example, and he was always gracious and loving towards those who were outside of the faith, and he reserved his harsh warnings for those that were in the faith and should know better. And I think that should be our default position. Um, And he certainly challenged people to change their ways, but he did it out of love and concern for them, not out of a sense of judgment for their, their sins. Because people have to be held accountable to whatever truth has been revealed to them, not the truth that we know, <laughs> that we try and enforce upon others, but, but when they have to be brought to that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in their own life, to see the fault of their own actions, and that will drive them to the Savior. From that point on, the process of discipleship should be sharpening our, our, our knowledge and our character and our attitude uh, towards Christ and Christ-like thinking. I love the way that uh, the Holy Spirit working through the earth today brings balance to the body of Christ. It's like, you know, we were talking about the fire brimstone preachers that that they seem to be the only ones that will tackle the topic of hell. And, but the crazy thing is they're standing out in front of bars and sporting events and on street corners and, you know, it's like they've got a hold of something. You can tell by the passion in which they speak, but it's caused a lot of people to shy away from making, and I think that's kind of what you're asking, is hell a good talking point for us these days for Christianity? Is it a legitimate talking point? Should we be talking about it? And we tend to kind of stay away from things because of what others who have gone before us have done with it. And we don't want to subject ourselves to the ridicule and uh, the, yeah. uh, you know, the, uh, what, you know, I don't want to be one, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be those guys. Therefore, I will avoid that topic when, in fact, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, it's okay. You can put the topic of hell and the afterlife on the table again because we know that we plant and water, but it's God who gives the increase. We know that no man comes but the Spirit of God draw him. So we should be able to say in a loving way, like Jesus would have, understanding who our audience is, we should be able to put a talking point like hell on the table and be able to discuss it and talk about it, knowing that our responsibility is not to elicit any kind of response from the person we're talking about. Our responsibility is just to put it out there so that they may know what it is and what the consequences that is, and then allow the Holy Spirit to actually be the agent that draws a person to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. I like that. So should we ask the big question, what is hell? Yeah. <laughs> 
And I'll be the first to say, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> I've, read, I've read the book. I've looked at the Greek. I've looked at the Hebrew. And, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like a hot garbage dump. <laughs> and it's, But I do know this. I don't want to be there. Yeah, I don't want to be there. And I think that all of the fire and the brimstone and the worms and the gnashing of teeth, they're all images but I don't think that we have to then say, well, it, hell is going to contain all of those. Those are just trying to convey the darkness, the despair, the pain. And what is the pain? I think ultimately what death and hell mean is separation from God. Isn't that what death is? It's to be eternally cut off from our loving Savior. And even in this world today, as much as people might experience some form of hell, God's Spirit is still here. There's still, there's still something of, of the Spirit at work in their lives that I, probably preserves and protects them um, from the full extent of their actions. And yet at some point, without them ever acknowledging God's love and God's protection over them or coming underneath that and being aware of it, they do end up being separated from it completely and fully aware of what they've lost, what they've missed out on. Yeah, as, as I was reading through this book, he didn't say this, but what the th- one of the thoughts that came to me, because it, it was in amongst the discussion of, is hell a literal place, and is it, you know, what is it going to be? And I had this thought that I kind of felt was the Holy Spirit speaking to me of hell, because uh, he used the word banishment, is hell banishment. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know what would be hell for me? would be to be eternally thinking about every decision I have made during the course of my life, every opportunity that God brought my way, and I chose not to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but I chose to follow my human nature or my flesh or my own intellect and my own thoughts, rather than, and then seeing a little movie of, what could have been had I made the right decision? And I all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, that would be hell to me. Yeah. That would be hell. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I remember reading this in the book, Francis Chan's book, and I didn't know it. To be honest with you, I didn't know it. It may sound stupid, but, um, and, I, and I'm not sure that I read it right. When, when someone dies and that person, say, say there's an unbeliever, you know, and he's going to hell. That person doesn't go to hell till resurrection? Till the end? I think he did bring that point up, and, and it, it might have just been one of the areas where he needed to spend a little more time talking right. about it. But I, I think I, I, when I read it, I, I think I sort of agree with it in a sense. And this is how I would say it. If a believer dies now, we believe that they go to heaven and they're in the presence of the Lord. But we also know that that is not their final destination, that there is a resurrection still to come and that heaven and earth will be reunited in some way that we can't fully comprehend. Um, and so although we believe in heaven, we should also recognize that it's, it's temporary. Almost, it's not the final, the final answer, the final solution. Right. And I think that there's an aspect of hell that's the same. I, I think that someone 
that dies now experiences the torment of being separated from God. But it seems like the final hell uh, that was created by God as punishment for Satan and his cronies, that that final hell is not going to be experienced until that same resurrection, that same final resolution of everything that God has has in motion right now. And that's if hell is eternal. I like the book, because especially the end of the book with the Q&As, where they ask the questions, like, does hell mean, is hell eternal? You know, like, that that question, yeah. I, he, he really leaned on yes, but couldn't really 100% say it, you know, in confidence, but it showed that yes, it is eternal. But what I'm getting at is that there, the questions, like, what I just asked you, which were in the back of the book, um, now, I know that was also in the book, but some of the stuff in the back of the book were really good. Like, did Jesus preach while he was in hell in between his death and the three days? And um, I don't know. It's just there. there's a lot of good questions and a lot of good answers. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the back of the book um, as much, if not more, as the book itself. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of his, those Debates were, I, th- I think, inspired by one of Rob Bell's most interesting questions in Love Wins, which was, is God capable of allowing people to repent when they've experienced hell and they've gone through a period of correction? Is he capable? To which the answer is, of course God's <coughs> capable. Of course God could do that. God <coughs> has the power to do whatever he wants. Will he? I don't know. The second chance theory. Yeah. 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 And so if someone is consigned to hell, will they be there for eternity, tormented? Or will they at some point learn their lesson and, and be set free? I, I, Like Francis Chan, I think that I would tend towards the position that what you do here and now makes a difference eternally. Yeah. And therefore God does... I don't see a lot of evidence in the Bible for that second chance, but I also don't see it ruled out completely because I know that God would certainly be capable of it. I remember when I was growing up, they had a play that was, and it was being shown in a lot of churches, uh, I think throughout the nation, called Heaven's Gates, Hell Flame, Hell's Flames. Oh, I remember the Do you name. Remember that? I, yeah, I don't know that I've seen it. It was like PG 13 or rated R, but it was like a church play. And I remember they had it at Christian Life Center, and I went to it, and it was basically the story of like two families, and uh, one ended up going into hell, and like it was cheesy. It was the eighties, I think. I think it was, it was either early nineties or late eighties. Everything like, in the eighties was cheesy, <laughs> but like it was like the climax of cheese ball fear preaching, because it was like you know the a play about them being in hell and like there's the devil with like he's all covered in red and like but it was really to scare people you know and I always had problems with it too you know even as a kid I remember thinking what is this and then then you hear about it every year about churches putting on Halloween like drive-through haunted houses or uh, just a haunted house in general that's, you know, the story of hell or, you know, going to hell. Um, 
usually there's one or two churches in every big area that does that. Yeah. Know? And so it kind of, I mean, the, in talking about hell, those always come to mind. And I know that's not something that I couldn't see us having a Halloween haunted house on hell. You know, a highway like, to hell. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I always, to me, and this is a stretch and it might not sound right. It just seemed like a different, I couldn't see myself doing that. And that person's a Christian, or those people are Christian, and I'm a Christian, but we're different. I mean, I couldn't do that. You know, I would never, even if I was in charge of a mega church and had all the resources in the world, I wouldn't put on, you know, some kind of fear-stricken, you know, hell ride for, you know, to scare the city into going to, you know, not going to hell. I don't know. And maybe it's different. I don't know. I don't, but is it wrong? You know, and I, I've always wondered that. I never, I never knew, I never thought it was wrong, but it just seemed like it could be, you know, like it's not right to do that. I don't know. Just because it's not our thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does it make it wrong or does it make it right, you know? Yeah, is there room for it? There, there might be. It's definitely not us, but it's maybe them. You know, I don't know, so. Yeah. It almost seems like when you go to that point, you're putting spin on it. I think I think it's important to lay information out that we have and let people make decisions on things. I think most people want to be able to hear the facts or hear the arguments if they're a thinking kind of person and then be able to make a decision on it for themselves. I think... Yeah. When we approach people with that kind of respect, whatever the topic is, today we're talking about the topic of hell, but whatever the topic is, if if we're going to sit and visit with someone and talk to someone, we can share our experiences and we can share what we do know, and then again, letting the Holy Spirit draw them and let them make the de decision on their own without having to put a lot of spin on it. Right. Yeah. That's good. And I'm excited not to talk about hell anymore. Actually, I have a I have another question that I think we should yes, discuss. Since we, we haven't have. answered any of the other ones that you yeah <laughs> you've answered asked these questions, we haven't answered one of them. <laughs> well, the other big one that I think people would still question, especially if you're an outside the faith, uh, you know, just listening to this, is how does the concept of hell, eternal punishment, how does that fit with a God that we describe as loving and forgiving and caring. How can a good God consign people, condemn people to hell? That's really the major question. And that's what I hear from people in my own family who aren't Christians. They, for instance, my grandmother, she says, I believe in God, but I don't believe in hell. You know, she, she would be a universalist, I guess, in its own right just because she doesn't believe that a loving God could send that many people to hell. The answer? I don't know. <laughs> well, it depends on what kind of... It depends on where you're going to go for the answer. If you're going to go to your own heart and your own intellect and your own perspective, then there's going to be a lot of, well, I would never do that. Yeah. I would never do what God did. I would never do that. But if you go to the Word of God, then you almost have to realize... Well, it is there, and it does talk about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And God has the right to act and judge as he sees fit. And we, we do not have the right to question that. What, as much as the, the jar would not have the right to question its pot, the potter that made the jar yeah. as to its purpose. Yeah. I, I also looked into that question a little bit and I, I like this argument. It doesn't satisfy, but it, it helps me think about it too, is that God, God's purpose is to give us free will to choose. Mm-hmm. And that free will, um, he hopes that we will choose to love him. But if at some point he could coerce us all or force us all to love him, whether it's now or whether it's once we've gone to hell and we've seen the, the mistake that we've made, if at any point we are effectively coerced into choosing to follow him, then we have not, we've lost our free will. And so hell, and by that argument, hell has to exist to provide us the freedom to choose against God, yeah. to choose not to follow him. And so he has to, he has to have a provision for that. Otherwise, we don't have true freedom. Yeah. You know, if we all eventually come to the faith, as a universalist, a true universalist might suggest, then, then there's not one of us that, that has free will at all. Yeah. We're just taking our time to, yeah. to do what we're, we have to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It makes it all, you know, meaningless. The, uh, one of the examples is, I was reading this morning to finish the book for our time together today, uh, Francis Chan was bringing up the idea of uh, the Book of Lamentations, which is full of imagery of horrible, awful things, but yet in the middle of it, Lamentations 3, the one that we all know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's made new every morning, greatest thy faithfulness in the midst of that. And he brought up the idea of, uh, of Job and what he had to go through, making this decision that Matt's talking about today, making the choice that no matter what's going on around me, I'm going to choose to love God no matter what. And it wasn't because he was coerced. It was because he made the choice out of the midst of his circumstances. And I thought about my own life over the last few years and just making that choice uh, to love God and to serve God no matter what happens uh, to me. And I, I was thinking about the idea of Jacob wrestling with God. And I think a topic like this allows us to wrestle a little bit with the scripture, wrestle a little bit with God, wrestle a little bit with the idea and the concept and wrestle with what we believe. <clears throat> and like my little grandkids are to the age now where uh, they don't really want me hugging them, but I want to hug them. So there's a little bit of a wrestling that goes on. You know, it's like I go up and, and I, I want to hug them so bad and they're going to kind of wrestle from me a little bit. And they don't really want me to, but they really do want me to, you know, to hug them. And I think that that's kind of sometimes the little dance we have with God, the little wrestling like Jacob did. He wrestled with God all night long until he finally called out, God, would you touch me? And God touched him. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and God touched him. And I think that the wrestling of these kinds of topics and these kinds of ideas allows us to really get close enough to God as we're wrestling with it that he can touch us and change our lives. Mm-hmm.